Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. And if you've listened a while, you know that Sandra leads the Christian Writing Group here at Calvary Mac, and she's in contact with so many amazing authors who get to come share their stories. So tonight we have another one of those wonderful authors, and I'm going to let her introduce herself to all of you right now. Well, hi, my name is Shara Donahue, and I love Jesus. I'm so thankful for the ways he's moved in my life and the way he moves in everyone's life. I'm grateful to be here on the Story Night podcast because I love how you value the story of everybody, whether it be dramatic or be one of the stories that we hope for our children, right? One of those stories that says, I've been faithful to Jesus all my life. Both of those types of stories have weight and anywhere in between every single story matters to God and he is the author of them. And so I'm glad to be here with you. We're so glad to have you. Thank you, Shara, for being here. And we'll get to hear about your work as an author and all kinds of fun things about kind of your, your life today. But as always, we want to start at the beginning. So I am going to hand this over to you and invite you to share your story with us. Well, sure. I often tell people that I was raised in the best situation for the situation. My father had been a youth minister. My parents met in Yosemite National Park. It was this cute little story of how they both worked there and they got married in the church there. And and there were many years where he faithfully followed Jesus, but then he became angry with God when his father died. And he didn't know how to process that anger. He didn't know how to go to God with it. And it caused many questions for him. And he turned to drugs to medicate. And soon my mother had to leave to protect us. But she ran to my grandparents' house and we were safe there. And they loved Jesus. And I got to grow up by three adults who loved Jesus. But that didn't necessarily mean that I did. I liked the idea that I was forgiven for my sins. I liked Jesus, but I didn't know what it meant to have him as Lord of my life. And when I talk about not knowing him as Lord of my life, it is not because I had head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. It's more of the opposite for me. I know I hear that commonly among Christian people that they had all this head knowledge because they grew up in the church and, and this and that they served, they saw their parents serving and they knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God. I always feel like I knew God, but I didn't know him for who he truly was because I didn't have the head knowledge. I did. I stopped going to church when I was in my junior high days, the junior high ministry was a little odd for me. And I just wanted to sleep in basically. It wasn't even anything to do with the church. I just liked sleeping and didn't want to have to get up on Sundays. And so I started not going to church at that point. I didn't really understand God for who he says he is in his word. So instead I created this God of my own design in my head, this God that approved of everything that I did, liked what I liked and the things I didn't like, of course, God didn't like those, but he would also understand when I made bad decisions. And when I followed my passions and my desires into areas where I found out later, he warned about never going. <laughs> so I am so thankful for the ways he drew me to him, 
but those teenage years were a little bit crazy. I didn't navigate the dance between childhood and adulthood well. I threw myself at experiences and made choices for which I really had no bearings. These choices put me within the grasp of of darkness, of things that wounded me deeply. As you talk about the teenage years, I think a lot of listeners will, their ears will perk up because so many had a hard time in those teen years. And, and that looks different for all, all different women. When you talk about darkness, what strikes me as interesting is so often the message that goes to teenagers is sort of painting the darkness out to be wonderful and freeing. And this is what everyone else is doing. And this is kind of what teenage life is all about. And yet when you talk to women who are either just coming out of that or that was their past a long, long, long time ago, no one, no one really talks about that. Like it was a, this wonderful thing. They refer to it as a darkness. And so I'm hoping you can shed a little light on that, both for the listeners who are young and they can kind of pay attention, but also to those who they know what that's like, they've been there and maybe they still have scars that, um, that need some healing. Yeah. I think we put so much weight on teens. We have to remember that they're even biologically, like spiritually it's hard, but biologically their brains are not even fully developed yet. And so they are facing all of these adult choices without the full capacity to make them. And then there is something that is appealing about the pull of the flesh. You know, in Galatians five, it talks about the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh. I think often we focus on the fruit of the spirit and we forget that what the fruit of the flesh are and the fruit of the flesh. So the scriptures say now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, when we think about darkness, there's a lot of those things that are appealing to teenagers because they are unknown. It's it's the flesh. They're fighting this battle of the flesh versus the spirit without fully developed brains. And so sometimes they are going to think, well, what is everybody hiding from me? What is it that there's this other side of me that's got this pull? And if we don't give them words to say, don't you know that your flesh will try to rule over you? Don't you know it will try to lead you to things that destroy you, that you have enemies, you have your own self as an enemy, which is your own flesh. And you have the enemy of uh, wisdom of this age, the, the the lies that are told to you, the messages that are given to them as this is an adult behavior, this is an adult message, an adult idea. So adopt it and move into it. And then of course we have the enemy of our souls, Satan, who's trying to destroy us. And if he can get into our teen years, convince us that darkness is joy, convince us that darkness is love, you know, that sensuality is love, that drunkenness is joy and, and kind of twist and distort those things for us. We jump into them full heartedly when we're young and don't know any better. And so we have to be careful about those things, but we also need to know that when they hurt us or when they break us, we can find ourselves chained to shame and we kind of scrape against these hard places and if we don't find the light there, we just dwell in this hurt and this pain. And we almost get ourselves locked into a captivity that 
we can stay in if we don't grow past it. Listening to you talk, it's evident that you're not just kind of talking at this. There's something in you that understands because you've been there. So I I hope listeners can really hear what you're saying is like, oh, she gets it. She really gets it. And so maybe if you can yeah, kind of take us through some of those teen years for you and, and what that, what those life chapters were like and where they launched you. Well, sure. I just had this belief that anything that my mom kind of taught was old fashioned. Anything my grandparents taught, it must be old fashioned. When I said old fashioned, I usually meant like biblical values that are very important to have but I didn't know that yet. And so I wanted to experience love, right? And so that sensuality part of my flesh really drew me towards relationships with the opposite sex. And though I might draw some boundaries, it eventually got to a point where I let things go further than I wanted to. And then I ended up with somebody who didn't want to court me, right? He wanted to conquer me. And I ended up in this position of sexual assault. And then when that sexual assault came into my life, when I felt so vulnerable and afraid, like there was nobody to protect me, I found another relationship where I found a protector and this protector was strong and he would stand up for me, but he was also broken. And so we bonded together, trying to heal each other. And I became his God and he became mine. And we rotated around each other. And the problem is, is anytime you rotate around something that is not God, they cannot sustain the weight and it will break. And when it does, you go spiraling out of control. And so there were little things left in me. I was afraid. I started to realize that, that the world was dark. There were hard things. There was pain. You know, we, we know that teenagers are sometimes drawn to, oh, my life has not got enough drama in it, or they gravitate towards those who do have drama in their life. And it's, they're trying to understand this mystery of the broken world. I I see that there's something broken here. I'm, I'm curious about what's going on and they haven't quite put it all together yet. And when we, when we follow that brokenness, we end up broken ourselves But then, like I said, I went into this relationship where we were both so broken. We thought we could heal the other person. And we ended up getting married when I was 19 years old and we were divorced before I was 20. There was addiction issues on his side and things eventually became abusive. And I was dealing with depression in certain ways. And we just got into real life And we realized we couldn't heal each other. We realized we couldn't worship each other, that we were gods that would fail and break because we were never meant to be gods. And it blew up all over us. And I was hurting and broken. And that was when I finally surrendered to Jesus. I said, Lord, I obviously don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I need you to guide me. I need you to help me. I I don't know what I'm doing. And, And that that was my prayer of surrender of, okay, you obviously know better. I'll find out who you really are. I'll find out what you've really said in your scriptures. Instead of just thinking the Bible is a nice thing to have in my home or something that will protect me. I I used to have this idea that the Bible would protect me. As long as there was like one in the room, Mm -hmm. I was safer. I think Mm -hmm. it probably comes from horror movies, but I also believe it also is, it is the sword of the spirit, right? There, the, 
this is our sword. So there was something in me that slightly understood, but had it really messed up. It was very, not quite the truth. And that's where Satan will keep us. If we were, are willing, not quite the truth. And then we find a lot of pain on the other side of that. I appreciate that you're noting like what you actually did because so many people say, okay, I've, I've reached this point on my journey. I'm not going in the direction I want to go. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to switch this direction, start walking a different path, start surrendering to Jesus, having this relationship with him, moving in another direction. But then what does that actually look like? And you've talked about, okay, reading, like I'm going to actually read this Bible, start, start learning about it. But but, but then what, I mean, especially for somebody listening who might be in that similar spot, like what was that next tangible step, that next sort of action in terms of what you do with your daily life? Yeah. I think that sometimes we talk about, oh, I have to walk with Jesus. I have to do this and I have to do that. Well, I didn't quite jump into that right away. I got to that point of surrender and things didn't necessarily get easier right away, but I did decide, okay, I'm going to go to church. That seems like the thing I should probably do, which it wasn't a bad choice. It was a good choice because I did get to hear the preaching of the word. And I got to understand uh, wisdom and hear from people who had been following Jesus for a while. And that, that was all good. And it was healthy. And I went for a couple of weeks. Like I told myself, I'll go once a month. And that's what I started with. And then after I'd gone consistently for a couple of weeks, I finally went up to the front and asked for prayer because I have bruises on my body and I didn't really know what to do anymore because we hadn't separated at that point when I finally surrendered and I didn't really want to separate. I didn't really know if I should, I was confused about what the Bible said about marriage. I had absolutely no idea what the Bible said about marriage when I got married And so I went up and I asked for prayer and they prayed that no more harm would come to me. And I went home after they prayed that for me and I walked in and my ex was white as a ghost. I had never seen him the way that he was, but he said, you have to leave. I'm afraid of what I will do to you. And I left and I, I don't know to this day what happened. And I can also tell you, I left and then I came back and he wanted me to come back. And then I left and then I came back again. And that's often happens in relationships that are toxic and damaging and abusive that there is, there's going back. It's hard to break away from an idol. And we were very much idols to each other. And it took, took a while for me to realize this is not where Jesus wants me. And there were lots of things that went on and I did eventually end up having biblical reasons for divorce. But during that time, I also was growing to know God more because I'm like, well, who, who is he? Because he's not who I thought he was because I made up this idea of who he was, but it wasn't really him because I've seen him intervene in my life now multiple times. And the God that can do that is bigger than this God I made up in my own mind. And I want to know him. I want this true God. So. I went to church. I often prayed. I could have conversation with God. And one of the things that was really helpful is that when you've loved 
and idle enough to know what it is to have your life revolve around them. When you know it's time to switch, you kind of know what those patterns look like. So if I found myself not clinging to Jesus the way that I used to cling to my ex, I knew that I was kind of in the wrong, wrong place that he, that Jesus was the one who deserved all this misplaced affection that I had in the past. I am a being created to worship. And so my worship just needed to be directed on something that was actually worthy of it. And I found that in Jesus Christ. And so that didn't mean I knew everything. It didn't mean I knew how to act. It didn't mean I knew how to serve, but I could sign up to write name tags. And that was kind of the first thing I ever did in a church. It was like, okay, I can say hello to people at the door and, oh, you want me to write name tags? Sure. I can do that. And so I just started saying hi as people came in the door. And that was what I did for the first time uh, as an act of service to the church. And sometimes I would sit in, in sermons and not know what they were talking about. And I remember one time the pastor started talking about Abraham and Isaac and how Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. And I was like, is this child's sacrifice? I am out of here. What am I doing here? This is not good. So I went home to my mom's house and I pulled a children's Bible off of the shelf. And I just sat down and I read the whole thing because I needed an idea of what the Bible actually said. Okay. Abraham and Isaac, it was God showing that he would provide the sacrifice on a place where he would later provide the sacrifice we all needed in Jesus Christ. And what a joy it was to be able to just sit and read and be like, oh, this is what they were talking about. This is what they were talking about. But if anybody who's ever struggling to read the Bible, that is my suggestion. Read a children's Bible so you can get the big picture idea. You can see that the whole thing points to Jesus and that God's plan for creation and then the fall, the redemption and the restoration, all of those things are there in the children's Bible as much as they are in the, in the whole of scripture. Now, I would recommend getting into the whole scripture later. It, it does go deeper. You get better understanding. You get to go know God even more. But if you're struggling now, read a children's Bible. It's so freeing to feel like, okay, I can read this at whatever le level and know God more because he is the one who teaches us through his Holy Spirit and he will counsel us. I look back at that time in my life and I was real, I was really broken and the ways that he healed me shock me still. I have been doing biblical counseling for almost somewhere between 15 and 20 years. And because I was drawn to it because I know what it is to be broken. I know what it is to feel like you're captive to something. And so I felt this draw to learn how to counsel others using the scriptures because God counseled me through the scriptures, through his Holy spirit. I do believe we can get counseling from outside sources besides the scripture, but I know that the Bible changed my life. Looking at those scriptures, going deep in them, you know, starting with a children's Bible, but then continuing to grow over time and having that, the word of God rooted deep in my heart changed me. It healed broken places that never could have been healed by anything else. Because what I really needed to know was who the God of the universe was that saw me and loved me and was willing to die for me so that I could be free from the sin that had hurt me and scarred me and broken me to the very 
deepest part of me so that I could be free. He bound up my broken heart. He sets captives free, as it says in Isaiah 61. And now I kind of try my best to live my life, to partner with him, to do those things. I love what you said about being free. I'm so glad you're you're just being vulnerable and, and raw and open and authentic about the hurt that can come from an oppressive or an abusive marriage, because I, it's like, I can't go more than a week without talking with a woman who has been there or who is coming out of something like that. And it's just, it is gut-wrenching and heartbreaking how prevalent it is. It's a whole ministry opportunity that I know we at Calvary Mac are hoping to do much more for, and hopefully other church bodies are as well. I know you now are married, you have children, and I think there's so many women that come out of such a broken marriage, and it's hard to see if they could ever be in a healthy one, and if they if that could ever really be healed and and like where they could sort of start over and have this marriage that they maybe never thought was possible. I'm not sure, but I I was hoping you could kind of speak to that transition um, from from one marriage to another. Sure. I can tell you, honestly, I did not want a relationship. I was terrified. I had grown to know Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as friend, and I figured Jesus was enough for me. I had tried that relationship route, and I didn't want anything to do with it. Now, over time, God healed me and opened me up to whatever it was that he wanted from my life is what I would have. Uh, and what I would do, what I would go after. But I figured it meant, oh, he'll send me to be a missionary in Africa or, you know, something terrible. For some reason, we carry this idea that when God is going to ask me to do something, it's going to be something I really don't actually want to do. I don't think it's terrible to go to Africa. I still want to go. But it's like there was there was this mental idea in my head that God will ask me to do something that I don't want to do. And goodness, he does ask me to do things I don't want to do sometimes like say no to myself, say no to my flesh. Don't open my mouth when I want to open it nice and wide. Like, you know, there are many times <laughs> I still have to say no to things I want to do, but his plan for our life does not always mean our worst nightmare. And we as Christians have to get away from that idea because he has shaped us and designed us. So there are certain things that he's placed within us that act kind of as guideposts to the areas that he'd want to take us. And we can't pigeonhole the idea of what God would do into something that we can actually come up with, because he's always going to come up with something that is greater than we can imagine, because his thoughts are higher than our ways and his ways are higher than our thoughts. Like, um, he's so much bigger than that. He's so much bigger than what we're going to come up with. And I just didn't think a relationship would be a good spot for me. I figured a relationship was once an idol for me. So I'll just stay really far away from it and that will be fine. But God wanted to do a different kind of healing in my life. And those years that I spent single, he worked with me through forgiveness. And I, and I try to remind people forgiveness does not deny the existence of the pain. There will be no need to forgive if no wrong was committed. And that we need to figure out what we need to forgive and who we need to ask forgiveness from. I asked my ex for forgiveness at one point because I knew that I was not free of guilt 
though there may have been bigger reasons that I had to leave that maybe fell a little bit more on his side, I still had sins that I committed and I still needed forgiveness for things, but mostly before, before God, I needed forgiveness for all the times daily. And even still, I choose my own ways over his sometimes. So I had to work through all of that forgiveness piece before I would actually be ready for a marriage. And I really did do a lot of healing and I let God speak into areas that I never let him speak into before. And he continued to do that as I went through the scriptures and I began to serve more also. And I, my first place I went to serve after doing the name tags and the greeting was once I felt like I could actually contribute something, I went to the youth group because my heart was broken for those teenagers. And I knew the traps that they could fall into. And I wanted to be somebody who maybe they would talk to when they were considering making terrible decisions (laughs) or when they were considering choosing their own ways over God's. I wanted to be there to remind them he really does know what he's talking about and gently remind them they really don't. (laughs) But we have to give them credit, those teenagers. They really are trying to deal with big issues and for the first time, and a lot of them do a great job. But it's hard. It's hard being a teenager, and I feel like it's only getting harder But so I went to that youth group and I began to serve there and serving that group was also very healing. And then I took a class on how to have a a biblical marriage because I realized I absolutely had no idea when I got married the first time, like I had mentioned. And so I went and took a class on it. Hmm. I did a really bad job at this. Maybe I should find out what God says. So I went and I did that. And then a couple of years later, I was teaching it to high schoolers because I was worried that they did not know what a biblical marriage was and they should know just in case they chose to get married at 19 years old. And in that time, I think I got to a place where I was about as healed as I could be single. I don't know if that's always the case for everybody. But I knew that God was starting to open a door with one of my friends that I suddenly he was in all of my spaces. He was at the college group that I was at and we met at a birthday party and then his church changed their programming. So he ended up being at this other thing I was at. And suddenly we were just always in the same space with each other and we became friends over time. And then after about six months, six months of being friends, he told me he fancied me. Like those were the words he used. And I kind of loved them because I loved all things British. So I had known that I started having these feelings towards him and I kind of pushed him down for a while, but I also had already released them to God. Like God had already done the groundwork and, and met me in a lot of those places where I had some fear. And so I just kind of kept my friendship with him and just kind of waited to see what God would do. Wasn't fully in, wasn't out, just kind of watched for God, kept my eyes open for what he might have. And things kind of unfolded in that way, but it wasn't an easy relationship at first. Great. We had a great time. We got to talk about Jesus. We sharpened each other really well. I was a very much a grace and mercy kind of girl. And he was a justice and righteousness kind of guy. And we still sharpen each other. And I'm so grateful for it all these years later, but I was afraid and I tried to break up with him multiple times 
and he fought for me, but he fought for me, not in a way that was aggressive, but in a way that was godly, because what he would say to me is he'd call me out on my fear very gently. And he said, is this because you don't want to be with me? Because if you don't want to be with me, that's fine. And he goes, I'd be sad. You know, or he said something like along those lines, like he didn't want that, but he also gave me all this freedom of if it's, if it's me, you don't want to be with that's okay. But if it's because of fear, will you bring that to God? Will you pray about that and see if that's the reason you're running from me? And then I'd be like, all right, give me three days. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. And I would go and I'd pray and I would ask my friends, pray with me. And I would, I kind of got to this place of it is fear. I am trying to say no to God. And this is something that God has put in my path that he wants for me. And it was a leap of faith. It was one of the bigger leaps of faith that I had to take in those early years of I'm going to, I'm going to trust God that he could have a right relationship for me. And over the years, here we are, where we'll be 18 years this year. And I can't imagine my life without him. We have partnered well for the kingdom of God. He has sharpened me. I believe and hope I've sharpened him, but really he's really sharpened me. And I know Jesus more because I married somebody that knew Jesus and loved Jesus more than me. Ladies, I hope you caught that. That truth is so big and so easily forgotten. We have an enemy who really wants to distort that. And I just kind of want to let that sink in for you. To find somebody who loves Jesus more than you. And with that said, finding an incredibly wonderful, godly man does not guarantee a perfect marriage. It does not mean that you are going to live happily ever after without any suffering or without any trials. That's just not the world we live in. Um, so Shara, what was, what was that marriage like for you? All right. So here is what we did. <laughs> we decided that we should move across the country right after we got married. <laughs> which was an adventure <laughs> and was lots of fun, but it basically threw our marriage in the fire, right? Some, some marriages stuff gets burnt out, like in a crock pot. You're like, Oh, here's a problem. We need to address that. Here's a problem. We need to address that. Well, we were so excited to move across the country. My husband was trying to get into a school on the, uh, out in Ohio. And so we go out there and we know nobody and we don't have jobs and we knew nothing about Ohio. We just went there, which is something sometimes people do in their twenties, but it wasn't the wisest plan we ever had, but it really was fire for our marriage. So there were lots of great things about being married and we got to know each other, but really also we argued so much, you know, we only had each other. We didn't have friends or family to necessarily go do other things with. We got to know each other painfully well. <laughs> and we saw all the faults and all those things. And, and over time, it really came down to who did I make this commitment to? And the truth is not that I just made this commitment to my husband. It was, I made this commitment to this man, to God. It was more, there were, there were certain times in that those first couple years of marriage, we got pregnant six months in also. So that kind of intensified things. 
I, there was one time that I went to bed because I was so tired and he woke me up at midnight and made me eat an omelet because the baby needed the food. And I was so mad <laughs> that I definitely sinned in my response, even though he was being kind, except for that it was midnight. But those little things can tend to make you think sometimes, did I marry the wrong person? Well, you're not going to marry a perfect person. The only perfect person to walk this earth has been Jesus. So your commitment to God for your marriage is more important than your commitment to the person. It's you're committed to that person because you're committed to God. And there were times in those first couple years where for both of us, because I know he must've wanted to leave multiple times, but he was committed to God that both of our commitments before God is what kept us there. Because I had mentioned earlier that I was about as healed as I was going to get single. Well, there were certain things I wasn't going to heal from until I was in the situation again. So when we bickered over something like the dishwasher or who was going to do this, or this was the right way to do that, or should we leave Ohio? Why did we come to this freezing state where I would push him and it was sinful not like push him like physically. I wasn't physically pushing him, but I would push him to see if he would push me physically, right? I wanted to see if he would snap. So it would be more with my words that I was testing him to see if he would pass, if he would snap, if he would hurt me, if he would go past that line where it's, okay, yeah, this is sinful discourse that two people are having that they're gonna have to repent for later because they're gonna realize they were being idiots you know, those type of marriage spats, I wondered if he was, it was going to go too far and he never did step past that line. And that wasn't right for me to test him. And we had a lot of healing that we had to do in those first couple of years, because I was learning to trust him. And in learning to trust him, I tested him sinfully. So we had to go to counseling and we had to forgive each other for different things. And, and of course there are ways he sinned against me because we sin against our spouses probably more than we sin against anybody else that, we, that walks this earth uh, in little ways and big ways, um, but hopefully not too damaging of ways, ways that can be healed and, and repented of. But that counseling really helped us to forgive each other for a lot of the little things. It really was little things that just built up and we just thought we were miserable and we weren't. It took about three years and counseling for us to get in a place where we were, we were doing better. And I can say that we've had hard years, but because we went through this fire at the beginning, I feel like because we stayed in it and we let it burn some of those things out, we've had a good marriage since then. Like I said, it's not perfect, but I'm so thankful. I know I have a partner in him and that he's going to trust God before he listens to me. And I need somebody like that in my life. And he knows I'm going to trust God before I listen to him and that we're both going to go to God. And then we're going to come together and talk about it. But we had to learn how to do that. It didn't come naturally at the beginning of marriage. I just love the, the word picture you just painted for me about being in the fire and letting some things burn off. I mean, I think many of us, especially if we've grown up in the church, we've, we've heard about, you know, fires as, you know, refining and, and kind of used it that it's metaphorically used that way. But I don't know that I've ever fully just sort of had that visual of going, going through a hard time, going through a, you know, metaphorical fire and letting it 
burn some things off that needed to be burned off. Uh, that was super impactful. And I, I hope I hope listeners found something in that in that word picture as well. That's just so, so well said. And especially for those of you women who are in a fire right now. Yes, you're being purified, you're being refined. There's a there's so much that can come out of a period of suffering and that you are not forgotten and you absolutely are not alone in the fire. And then this just kind of this other piece that there are maybe some things that just need to be burned off. We we have to let God burn away the things that are holding us back. I love in Hebrews where it talks about uh, lay aside the sin that clings to you. You know, we can't run if we have things clinging to us and there are fires that we go through. And I love the idea of God is a consuming fire. The, the scripture will talk about him as a consuming fire. And I remember one of the things that my husband said to me when we were dating, when I had gone through one of those, I don't know if I can do this times, he wrote me this letter. And again, like I said, I love words and he wrote me this letter and he says, I see the passion for the Lord within you and he is a consuming fire. So I want to burn with you. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's a, it's a little cheesy, but I absolutely ate up every single word of it. And I was like, okay, if he can do that with me, then we can try this. And then we got married and we burnt together. Right. But God, God was burning those things off of us. It was a different type, type of fire, but I love the picture of God as a consuming fire. And I love the picture in Daniel where, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego step into the fire and they say, but three men went in, who's that fourth one? Whatever fire that we are in, we get to know that we are, the God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And we have those promises in scripture. And so if you are in a fire in your marriage or in your life, know that God is with you there. And I, like I said, we could have given up on our marriage in those first three years. And if we had looking back at all he's done, all the memories that we've built together at seeing God glorified time and time again, I could have missed that. And just even thinking about it now, it breaks my heart. And I'm just filled with gratitude at the same time, because God didn't let us give up. And it was really our full trust in him that kept us in, in those moments. And it was worth it. Going through that fire was worth it. It's a remarkable thing to be able to say that something that hurts so much that that a period of suffering was worth it, but almost, I, I, I just, I honestly don't know anybody who's gone through a suffering in a, you know, for a season in the past that hasn't been able to eventually say that Every, everyone I know has eventually been able to say, that was worth it. And I, and so many will say, I wouldn't change it. I actually wouldn't go back and take it away or make it easier because, because of who I became after what I learned or the, how I grew and became closer to God because of that fire earlier, you talked about biblical counseling and that was something you do. So for somebody who received counseling and was blessed by it and had so many benefits, it's, it's not that shocking to know that you then kind of turned the corner and wanted to counsel yourself and, um, or be a counselor for others and, and help them. So where did that path take you? So I would say that part of it is the ways that God had gifted me specifically, right? Every believer is given spiritual gifts to 
serve the body of Christ. And when I was doing high school ministry, I quickly became a, a lay counselor. Right. So even before I got married, which was good because God had already put the word in me deep enough that I was knowing how to lead others with it and help them address their problems with scripture and all of that, that was helpful for me. So when I did get really frustrated when I first got married, like I still had things to draw on, but it started happening right after I became a believer. Like as soon as I would learn something, God would provide an opportunity to me to teach and counsel somebody with the scriptures. And just as I grew, those opportunities grew. And so that time when we were in Ohio, we did leave eventually because when he realized that he wasn't going to go to that school, I was like, get me out of this frozen state. We had my first daughter in the midst of that. And she was born in December and I grew up in California. So I did not understand what certain parts of the weather that they had there were. I didn't know what freezing rain was and all of that. So get me out of here. And we were like, well, let's go back to the West coast. And Oregon had a school that I wanted to go to out here. And so I got into grad school and we came out here. And as I served in the church, those giftings continued to come out. And so I realized, okay, now I'm, I'm dealing with more serious things and I'm able to counsel people. And I went through that pain at the beginning of our marriage and I was able to help other young marrieds. You know, we, there are certain things that happen when you're a young married and, and I knew where to turn in scriptures because I went and fled to the scriptures myself to figure out what is going on. I need some help here, Jesus. So I just started doing, it started happening all the time. And then we were, I'd served in the church and I counseled in the church and I did lay counseling until finally I was dealing with things that were big enough that I knew I needed some help. So I ended up getting my certification in biblical counseling so that I knew I was responsibly handling the weight of emotional issues that were coming towards me. Now, I do think that we are counseling each other all the time. Believers should be counseling each other with the scriptures all the time. We should address problems when we have our friend come to us and say, this is what I'm dealing with. And if we know hope in scripture that could meet them there, offering that hope. But I wanted to take it a little bit further to make sure that I had done everything in my power to be fully equipped to meet the needs that I was seeing God lead me to. The fact that there are people walking this earth who think that they have to be their own savior to experience what we've experienced in the last couple of years and what we're experiencing now. And to do that alone, to do that without Jesus breaks my heart. And so I want people to know that there's healing. I want people to know that the Bible addresses the places and then that they feel like they can't show anybody. I want them to know that, that your thoughts don't have to torment you that there can be freedom and knowing that people are living with that weight on top of them, smothering them inspires me to want to do what I can to help, to bring that message, to say, Hey, have you considered this and point to a truth and a promise of God that might break off the lie that they've believed for so long that Satan has told them over and over again, maybe through different circumstances, but they always hear the same message. Those messages that haunt our hearts can be addressed by the truth of scripture. And then that's where you get to the place where the truth sets you free. 
I would not be surprised if many listeners right now are going, um, so how do I get counseling from her (laughs) and wanting to just know what options they have or, you know, what resources you provide or anything like that. And of course, ladies, if there are any links mentioned, we'll have them in the episode notes. But, um, I think as we're getting near to the end here, I wanted listeners to know how they can get more of you, whether that's counseling or your writing career, things you've, things you've published, um, what they can read, just anything that for those who are listening going, um, yes, more, please. I don't want this episode to end. (laughs) I want to, I want to hear more from her. What are some ways they can do that? Oh, well, first of all, that's so kind. (laughs) And everything that I have that is worth knowing is things that God has taught me and I'm so grateful for it. But if you want to find more from me, I run a podcast called the Bible never said that where we talk about popular sayings that make their way through culture in the church, but are theologically problematic. And the re and I don't want to argue with people. It's not to argue with people, but it's because those lies that exist within us sometimes show up in these sayings. So sayings like God helps those who help themselves, or I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself or God won't give you more than you can handle. Okay. So I address like, those are three that I have addressed already, but we talk about these sayings and we talk about what scripture actually says. So it's the Bible never said that. And then what it does it actually say is what the podcast is about. So that's there. And then I have a website, sharadonahue.com where you can find some of my past publications and other places that I may have been on the web. And then I also run a blog called anchored voices, which is one I started when I briefly ran a women's ministry a while back because like you, I value the story of every woman. And I wanted women to have a place where they could tell their story that maybe they didn't want to run a blog or they didn't want to write, but they had a story that they knew God was glorified in and that they wanted to tell other people about. So if those people were experiencing the same thing, they could find hope in that story. You are speaking my language. Thank you so much for sharing the resources and the links. I'm excited to check them out. I hope our listeners are as well. And I so appreciate you coming on to share your story. We always close in prayer. And I would love if you would pray over the listeners, especially those who they found themselves in your story and they learned that they're not alone and they were encouraged and impacted by what you had to say. Well, I would consider it an honor. Jesus, thank you that you have saved us, that you are the one who can bind up broken hearts, that you are the one who can set the captives free, that you are the one who uses truth to heal us. And I pray for those who need healing today, that you would speak to them through your word, that you would speak to them through your spirit, that they would know that you are with them, that you see them, and that you are close to the brokenhearted and those that are crushed in spirit. Lord, strengthen them to turn to you. Let them know that they can borrow strength from you. They don't have to carry it all on their own. And I pray, Lord, for those who are still healing from abuse, that you would lead them to that healing. For those who are in the midst of abuse, that you would guard them and protect them with your mighty hand. And Lord, for those that are in marriages that are trying to honor you, but they keep running into these fights that just feel like torture, 
that they would remember to trust you and to let their own desires be shaped by you and that they would know what fights are worth fighting and what is worth letting go of and that they would strive for unity. Lord, for everybody, give us more of you, please. We need it. Our world needs it. And there's nothing better. There's no greater answer. You really can do more than we imagine. Help us to rest there. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I I think some ladies might want to just rewind your prayer and listen to that over and over or just know <laughs> that that's available. I It was so, so true and so sweet. Ladies, I hope you were touched and I hope you feel hopeful at the end of this story. Shara, for any woman out there who is very interested in receiving biblical counseling, no, no matter where she lives, where would you, where would you point her, especially if it's like long distance? So there is a website called restored.com. It's R3, the E is a three, R3 stored, right? So restored.com and it's run by Carl and Laura Chica. And they are the people that I got my certification through. They work for the Association of Biblical Counselors, and I would wholeheartedly recommend them to anybody. So they're at restored.com, and that's where I would point somebody. I mean, I personally am not taking new clients right now, but I can fully point people to that website with, with full confidence. Awesome. Thank you so much. And again, we'll have that link in the episode notes, ladies. Shara, thank you so much for taking time to come on here, for sharing your story, for being so encouraging to our listeners and ladies. I hope you were blessed and I hope you come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.